Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. Again this week we record from our base here on Dinga Peninsula in the beautiful and picturesque county of Kerry. I hope you all had a lovely enjoyable week since the last podcast. Again, look, we would ask if this is your first time uh, tuning in to us, please do go back and have a listen to episode one and all the, the other episodes since um, we have had extremely, extremely interesting guests on. Please do rate, review, and tell your friends, family, whoever may know about the podcast too. Look, if you just recommend that one person over the next week, we really, really, really appreciate it. Any interaction that you or anyone you may know have um, about the podcast and social media, please do tag the guests, tag on the ball team building, and tag our sponsor, GRG Sports. They are a teamwear supplier to J clubs, soccer clubs, rugby clubs throughout the country. And they also do um, gear and merchandise for businesses. So look, if you or if you know anyone that is looking to get a bit of gear, uh, please do get onto them. Just uh, Google grgsports.com or look there on all social media platforms as well. There's no time to bring on this week's guest and I am very excited to bring on performance coach and businessman Niall Megan. This uh, this was uh, an interview we were trying to tee up for a long, long time and I'm delighted to get it over the line. Um, could have kept chatting to him for ages. Absolute gent. Very, very interesting career so far and definitely a lot more to come. But anyway, look, if for you that uh, you know, mightn't be aware who, who Niall is or what he does, he is co-founder of Fit Guru Retreats with an extensive global knowledge of world travel expanding over a decade. An internationally certified performance and mindset coach, Niall has worked with world champion athletes and business people all over the world. Niall often hosts fitness and wellness retreats in Ireland, USA, Europe and Bali with his business partner, Kiran Jude. Under the partnering company Fikuru Fikuru Retreats, where participants take part in physical, mental activities with yoga, Pilates, mindset and communication workshops in amazing destinations. The Fikuru have teamed up with the UFC to host the Ultimate Fight Week retreat in Vegas, which was put on the back burner unfortunately due to coronavirus, but it's definitely something I'm going to get into with Niall in this interview. Hi Noel, how are you? Welcome to an Inside View podcast. Jamie, how are we doing? It's about time, huh? It's a long time in the making. Yeah, it's a, it's a couple of weeks now. We've been constantly putting it back, but um, thankfully but we're... It's been a couple of months, lad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how are you keeping? How do you survive lockdown? Yeah, good. Yeah, not too bad. Um, everything's fine, thank God. Um, nobody in the family, everybody's been, been all good. Um, we've been okay we've just uh, we've been really really busy so yeah thank thank god everything's been going okay um, so, and, yeah. and how did you find we say you know the first couple of two or three weeks of lockdown when it was very intense how did you find that um your, yourself and how did you find it working with with some of your your clients so it was crazy the first couple of weeks of lockdown we actually had a uh we actually had one of our retreats organized in Bali and we went over there on I think the 12th or the 13th um, work purposes we went over just to check things out flights were still going um, and we we said we'd go over and we, we had a whole group coming so we wanted to check out things over there I knew a lot of expats on the island and I went over there just to 
catch up with them and see what was going on. Uh, Bali's one of those places where the media don't really get to show what they want. And I know we're influxed by media, so the best thing to do with, with, with the islands is go over there and actually see what's happening for yourself. So that's what I've done. Moved the flights forward, went over there, uh, just to check things out. And um, we were there. We decided to, to cancel the retreat and um, told everybody, look, um, it's best if everybody stay put. Um, we're going to just uh, try and get out of here as soon as possible. Um, a couple of days after that, pandemonium hit the world. Um, I think it was the 17th of March. Um, we went to the airport and didn't even uh, actually go there. We just got nearby and it was just absolutely hectic. We, we turned around and we came back. Uh, couldn't get our flights. That was a disaster. We had 22 flights and cancelled and blocked and you know, we ended up spending three and a half weeks in Bali, uh, trying, to, trying to get home. I know some people might be saying, oh, that's not a bad place to be stuck in. And I know Bali by, by the back of my hand. I've been going over and back for 13 years, know the locals. Um, we were lucky we, we, we had some friends over there that helped us. Uh, we spent an immense amount of money on trying to get home. But, um, you know, it, it really helped us set back and really helped us have a look at things uh, differently. Um, the locals were really starting to get scared and panicking. Obviously, they thought it was just only going to be a couple of weeks. But um, and when they realized it was going to be bigger than what they expected, panic started to set in. And we were the few um, non-locals that were hanging around. And parts of uh, the day, we, we were walking around like we were the next meal nearly. And you know, I, I felt sorry for them in, in a way because their whole livelihood had been shattered. And um, we were obviously looking like the tourists there. So even though we were there working, but um, we just needed to get out as soon as possible. So uh, thanks to the Irish Embassy that helped us get home. So and it was, it was the first few weeks of lockdown. Yeah, you, you, I, I remember seeing your story and you, um, you eventually touched down, but do you, you got a few flights. Did you end up in Portugal at some stage? Yeah, that's right. We, um, we ended up, uh, the, the embassy, European embassies, whatever, they ended up pooling together to get the Europeans back to Europe. So we actually only got, got as far as Lisbon. And then reality started to kick in with us because we were met by literally the military uh, that had this whole section of the airport cornered off uh, for 12 of us um, that were connecting to Ireland. And they had the army beds uh, rolled out. They had like, it was proper, proper, you know, surreal. Like we went from being in the hills and the jungle in Bali to this, and, and we didn't know what Ireland was going to be like. And it was crazy. Got to Ireland, and you'd swear nothing was going on at all. You know, there was no barriers at the airport. There was no even the taxi driver wasn't wearing a mask or anything. It was weird, you know. And the rest of the the country or the rest of the world, sorry, was taking um really really big precautions back then. And so you went from meeting the military in in, uh, in Lisbon to meeting a taxi driver in Dublin with nothing. is like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. It was, it, it was a surreal couple of, uh, couple of weeks. So, um, but I suppose, you know, when you settled down in back in Ireland, um, how did you kind of readjust? I suppose when you were in Bali, you were still kind of in work mode as such. Yeah. But when you came back to Ireland, um, 
how did you kind of you know reassess the situation and I know you I know you'd um a retreat organised with the UFC as well which I'll, I'll get into later on. Um, so do you want to just tell us how how you kind of reset your mind? So yeah, well, we came back. Look, we had three and a half weeks over there, and we I knew straight away that um, things needed to change big time. You know, the good thing about it was we were connected to the internet and. Um, we were just in work mode. We were configuring. We were we were sharpening the tools everywhere we could to make things as pandemic proof as possible. We didn't know what was going to be happening. We didn't know how it was going to happen, but we knew one thing: that the whole world was shutting down, and we needed to reinvent ourselves big time. So um, we, that's what we've done. And uh, uh, both my partner and our business and uh, Fit Guru, everything had to be c- configured to, as what they say, the new normal. Um, we knew what was going to be happening back then, so we literally made the decisions. Um, yeah, you mentioned the UFC retreat. We had a big year planned on the retreat side of things, so we quickly done what we could to get our our uh, business in order uh, to what was happening on the legality side of things with cancellations. Uh, what would we be covered for? What would we not be covered for? Uh, just to get everything right, and of course, have the attendees that had paid get them into perspective as well and get them in order as well. So that was more important than anything is letting them know what's happening. So yeah, we quickly got that done. And uh, unfortunately we had to wipe off the whole year off uh, retreats and we were gearing up for one of the biggest years yet. Um, the UFC um, experience uh, for fight week. Um, we were ramping up for that and it got wiped off the table, but hey, who cares? We're, we're here for 2021. It's going to be still there. Exactly, exactly. We'll, uh, we'll delve into that now later on. I just, I suppose, before I, I go any further, because I do have a tendency to keep asking questions and <laughs> diverge from the, the, main, the main issue, we'll go back to your early days. Um, you left the shores of Ireland at the age of 18. Uh, you went to Australia. Uh, do, you want to tell, do you want to give us an overview of that time? Yeah, uh, back in 2006, um, Garland was still in a pretty good place back then. Uh, and I left school out very early, Jamie. Um, I was only, I'd say, 15 years old. Um, wasn't really a place for me. Um, there was a lot going on at the time. Uh, there was a lot of bullying going on. And I was just finding my, trying to find my place to fit in, I suppose. Um, and my father thought the best place I could fit in was the, the building site alongside him. So that's what happened. And... Uh, do you know, I don't, looking back, I don't regret anything. Uh, I've probably done education the long way around. Uh, I do value it today. And, um, do you know, but I started very early on the construction sites. Um, I think the first job we were doing was the, uh, doing the civils around Ballymun Flats. They were, knock, they were knocking them down and we were working up there. And, yeah, it was quite an experience. Uh, good crack, though. But, uh yeah, I, I was always trying to, to, to make a few pounds here and there and got into cars then and I was, you know, buying crash cars and doing them up, modifying them and just keeping busy. You know, I had I always had my hands busy. And I, by the age of 18, I was, I, I was inspired by postcards and TV shows about the world and older friends that had been to Thailand and Australia. So, um, one summer, my mum and dad and the whole family went off to Florida for a few weeks, and I was left at home uh, with, with, with the work. And uh, during that period, I booked a, 
around the world trip to uh, there was five destinations around the world. I, I can't even remember it that clearly, but I went up to use it up in Dublin anyway. And, um, I wasn't even a student, but I passed anyway. <laughs> you know, so new, I, think, I think they knew right well I was, I was a student, but um, I wasn't. And uh, I got around the world flight for 1,100 euro at the time. And um, it was savings that I had. And literally a few months later, I was gone. And I don't think my parents thought I was serious until I was going through the departure gates. I was off on the biggest adventure of my life. Um, went to Thailand. I was there in Thailand for three weeks, full moon, party beach. And destination was always Australia. Um, I had a few friends over there, a lot older. Um, got there. I got to Sydney in, in just coming up to Christmas. Couldn't get any accommodation, couldn't get any, nothing. I had nothing planned, absolutely zero planned. I had a, a Lonely Planet book and that was about it. And I didn't even look at it. So there's no such thing as, um, as apps or smartphones back then. There's internet cafes and, and to call internationally, you had to have a card and put a million numbers into the card. And uh. Bad times, but you know what? It was great times. Got to Australia anyway, and um, yeah, I loved it. I, I, I fell in love. I, I got into work pretty quickly and um, started working in construction, earning great money at the age of 18, which was brilliant. So I um, started saving up money and started traveling around Australia. And I came back home then, and Ireland was just hitting the recession. So I thought going back to Australia would have been the, the best idea. So I, I went back and, and got knuckled down, got sponsored. Got residency and then I got citizenship, so all was bang bang bang. So, and was that difficult to get, to get um, citizenship at the time? Uh, it was, yeah. Uh, not many people went the route that I went at the very start, and and it just everything just happened. Um, everything just happened organically, I suppose. There was a couple of companies that um, were trying to sponsor me at the same time, and. Uh, uh, one company said, um, I, I had a sponsorship application in one company and the other company who knew more about the legalities and said, we can actually offer you residency that will overpass that um, that sponsorship. So I took that and um, it just meant that I had four consecutive years in Australia and that's what you need to qualify. You have to have four consecutive years and one of those years need to be under permanent residency. And that happened very quickly for me. So at the age of 23, I became a citizen. And uh, a guy that does the look, the, the Irish newspaper, he came in and goes, I've done a lot of uh, research and I believe that you're the youngest Irish uh, uh, Australian citizen on the working holiday visa without a conviction. Respect <laughs> 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 all the Irish and the English and the Welsh and the Scottish down that uh, convicts. Um, so I done a big write-up about about it and you know, about the the influx of the Irish coming over at the time. It's around 2010, 2011, and everybody there's loads of people coming over from Ireland trying to get out of the, the recession. So I was lucky in that sense. I suppose that leads into at the, before we 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 t- tap into that. But we say at at the age of twenty one, you set up. Uh, get the start web platform um was that we say when you went back to to australia and there was an influx of people coming in like so it was actually probably at the right time you had a lot of irish people coming yeah. 
so look, I, I always had loads of ideas and my sister used to always say, Niall's going to wake up on a Monday morning with a new idea. Always very kind of thinking outside of the box and I realised there were so many people coming over to Australia and they were getting there and they were left stuck, stranded. They didn't know what to do and um, I ended up just helping so many people um, with their visa because I... I done it all and I'd been through the mill I suppose you might say and at four years of going through all the, the visa stuff all the legalities um, kind of had a, a fair idea of what was going on around um, and there was loads of stuff you had to get your um, licenses transferred your trades transferred you had to get so much stuff in place before you actually got work and and um, Irish, a lot of the Irish guys started come over first and then they were bringing the families over. A lot of the lads were working in the mines um, and they were telling their mates from in Ireland come over, it's great money and they're paying for their tickets and, and everything. But they were getting to um, Australia and then that they didn't know how to get CVs written up, they didn't know how to do applications when most of the, the lads were staying in hostels or they didn't have access to computers or printers or... Uh, they didn't know the best place to get um, their licenses transferred or get their diggers tickets or all that sort of stuff because there's a lot of rogues as well just doing uh, fake stuff as well. So I put it all together and I set up a website called Get the Start. I set it up, it's not active anymore. I let it go um, about six years ago. But um, it, was, it was a platform, it was uh, started off non-for-profit. It was just like an information portal where uh, people could get information on how to get the start in the best possible way in uh, in Australia. Um, at the time then, my sister who worked for Aer Lingus, Aer Lingus were laying off um, people left, right and centre. So she was, given, she was given unpaid leave. So she came over to Australia to me and I sat her down and said, Kira, I've got a job for you. So uh, you are now the HR manager of Get the Start. So... It just happened like that. We set up some offices and uh, hired a few staff and all of a sudden there was just influxes of people coming left, right and centre. I was still working. I was still working on the sites. So I didn't even know how to charge for it. Again, I was only 21 years old. Like I didn't, I didn't have any clue about uh, recruitment or labour hire or, or um, you know, any of this kind of, kind of work. So I just said, look, we'll get you started, we'll get you into the mines, we'll get your C do your CVs, we'll do all the application processing, and we'll get you started in the quickest possible way. Uh, never took any money off them. They said, we literally just, it was a donation. If you wanted to donate something when you came back from your stint or when you got work, that would be appreciated. It would keep the girls in work. And, um, you know, some guys didn't pay anything. Some guys paid 500, some guys paid 1,000, you know? Um, but it was totally up to them, and that kept that kept everybody going, and the offices kept everything. On. I really didn't pay much attention, but it it skyrocketed. Um, got a phone call one day from a, a news reporter from the RTE, and he says, "Niall, I hear you're you've got a company, and you're you're helping all these people come over to Australia. Do you fancy coming on the Late Late Show?" I was like, I was at work, tool belt, and everything. I was like, I thought it was it. I thought it was Kai, I thought somebody was having me on. And um, it, it, it wasn't, it was, it was all legit. Um, this reporter was coming over to Australia, just trying to find people to do a show back in Ireland. They were paying for flights, paying for everything, uh, putting me up and to go on the Late Late Show. 
I torn it down because the company wasn't formed properly. It wasn't like, again, I was only 21 years old. I really didn't know that it, it had got that big. Um, so I just, I said, I turned it down. I said, look, if, if it was more established, if it was more set up, I don't want to be giving people the wrong impression and having thousands and thousands of people, you know, coming at me not, not fit to handle them. I said, just give it a little bit of time, let it grow and develop and we'll see how it goes. So that's what happened. Um, you know, I, it lasted a couple of years. Um, uh, we were over in Western Australia. Um, there was a little bit of a, a recession in Western Australia and um, things started to die down. But um, it wasn't my main focus. That was the thing. Um, my sister, who was helping run the place, she ended up having a baby and, you know, things didn't go that well after she had had her child. So um, I was too busy with other things as well. So I thought the best possible thing to do was just to wind it down. And that's what we've done. Well, you, I suppose you, you didn't leave it uh, wind down for too long. You you were at something else two years later, um, an Irish cafe, Delhi. Hmm. That's right. Well, that, that was in and around the same time as well. I, um, yeah, I set up uh, Australia's first Irish cafe in Delhi, Taste 32. Um, 32 counties, if anybody's wondering. The amount of people, the amount of Irish people that come in and ask what's 32 stands for. Um, that was that was another wing. That was um, that was an idea I came up with with a friend of mine uh, on a on, on one of the mine sites. We were having a couple of beers after our shift, and we were like, "How can we get out of here, Sean?" We were like looking into the sunset, and just like that, I said, "Let's open up a cafe. Let's open up Australia's first Irish cafe." And he says, "I'm in." And um, he was dreaming all the time. Let on, he was serious as well. But you know, he, I, I don't think that uh, he was serious about it. But I was. Um, within a week, I had the premises and the name, the trademark, the the account set up. I had freaking everything set up within a week. And I said, Sean, it's happening. He was like, What? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I bet he's one of my best friends still. And. Um, so it just wasn't the right time for him, but I uh, I quit my job and we were getting well paid up there. So I said, frick it, you know what? I'm going to take the risk, I'm going to give it a shot. And uh, I honestly didn't think it would go that well. Um, I loved food. I was very hands-on in the kitchen. Um, and I said, I'd just go for it, you know? I had a bit of hospitality experience working in bars and, and restaurants, you know, when I was here at the family businesses and that. So I just said, I'd give it a go. And... Uh, do you know what? It was. It went crazy. First year, it went absolutely nuts. And um, do you know there was queues out the door every weekend, feeding the hungover Irish and and, and everybody in between. Introduced the jam bonds to Australia, <laughs> so uh, we was making our own jam bonds, and people used to come from freaking all corners to get them. So it was a cool. It was a wild journey for four or five years. And how was um like did uh did you sell that then or, or what happened after you know after a couple of years? Yeah, so I ended up franchising it and um there was a lot of legalities involved with the shopping centres I was in and you know they they weren't really doing the right thing by me. They were they were they were wanting to kinda 
compete against what I was doing and setting up their own thing. And um, again, Western Australia was going through a wave of uh, Irish people. The thing with Australia, when one side of the country is doing well, the other side isn't. And, P- and Irish would move from, like, right at this moment, a lot of Irish are going back to Western Australia because of the mining boom again. When the mining boom co- comes down, people will go back to Melbourne and Sydney. It's mad. And it affects the football teams as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I was just over it. I was physically and mentally drained at this stage. I think I was 25, 26, and I just I had, I had enough. Simple as that. And I wanted to turn a new leaf. Um, wasn't getting any fulfillment out of what I was doing. And I um, I ended up just selling everything. And uh, that's what I'd done. It was, it was a chapter in my life that I closed and uh, I moved on. I wanted to do something new. And it was a simple fact of the business owning me and me not owning the business. So felt a little bit strangled in it. So That's a, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, after that, then, did you, did you come back to Ireland or were you still over in, in, in Australia for two or three years? Oh, um, what happened was I'd, um, I'd sponsored my whole family to come over. Um, you know, obviously they were hit hard with the recession. Dad and his business was really hard using building and construction. So um, I thought the best opportunity that I, that I could give them was giving them a new start in life in Australia. So I, um, I'd, I'd say I bent every single rule in the, in the book to, to get them over legally um and i managed to get them get them all sponsored and it nearly took me down to my knees but uh i got them all over and uh i had them over on holidays and that in between so they really knew what the what they were expecting when when they they got there um so they'd been over every year on holidays and so they really liked it i said why don't we just give it a go and put the house for rent back home we can see how things go so they came over for four years, mom, dad, and ended up everybody was here, you know, and they're all working for the, the businesses and getting them set up. And cool. um, so I didn't really need to go home back then. Uh, but you know what? Saying all that, it was extra pressure on, on that. That was a mountain to myself. And um, I just realized that I couldn't I couldn't handle everything. I, I kind of bit off more than I could chew at the time. And there's a lot of pressure. And. Um, I again going back to turning a new leaf. I knew that I wanted just to really completely change, change what I was doing, change my mindset, change everything that I was doing for for me. You know, because a lot of the time I was doing everything to help everybody else and didn't really have any mentorship or guidance. So I um, yeah, I just I went back to work, Jamie. I went back uh, working in the mines. Um, I, I needed to save up some more money. Um, I got into a bit of debt with the businesses, made some wrong decisions. I'd set up a construction company as well. It didn't really go that well. So um, it was it was an absolute whirlwind of five, six years of boom, boom, business going left, right and centre. And then it all just came to a halt. And I just realised, what am I doing? What the hell am I doing? I said, I was starting to crack up. And then I had all my family over here. And I was like, what have I done? So um, I, I, I just said to them, guys, look, said your visas are here for four years keep everything just do as much as you can um they weren't really adapting to things my brother wasn't fitting into school there was a lot of pressure and a lot of stress at the time so i am um, i advised them i think it's the best thing that uh, is head back home head back home and and try and 
get Fionn back into school and society again because he just wasn't fitting in and the bullying was really, really bad for him. You know, he was a chubby little Irish kid into public school where all the kids are sufferers of long hair and everything and, you know, Fionn didn't really fit in. He tried his best to fit in and watching my little brother go through something that I went through was very hard and I, I, I felt as if I was the cause of that by taking him out and something that I really didn't think of um, back then when I was getting him over to Australia was how my little brother was going to fit into society. Um, so I just asked him to, you know, I think it's best if you just go back home. Things weren't going the way I, I planned anyway. So four, four, four years and they, they headed on back home. Um, I moved over to the Gold Coast and I finally had my new slate that I could that I could turn and it was um yeah, it was I felt like there was so much weight off my shoulders, it was unbelievable and it was you know, I didn't care about the money at last, I didn't care about anything, I just knew that I had myself. Family were safe and I had abilities, I had skills and it was time to put them to work. So so what I done, I went back back working in the mines and I, and I saved up some money and invested that money into personal development and growth and that was the that was the change that was the the pivot point. I remember um, chatting to you before and you mentioned that well, you just mentioned there about the construction company you set up. Um, you said that was probably one of the biggest learning experiences you've had to date. Um, why why would that? be one of the biggest well i learned a lot about risk taking um, and i was always a risk taker when it came to business i didn't I never had any mentorship i never had any guidance um i learned that i set the construction company up simply because i knew that that's where my dad would fit in and that's where he'd be comfortable um it took away a lot from what i was doing with uh, the cafes and I had big plans there and you know and and I went back on myself to help others and I know that's what we'll always do is is do our best to help others especially family but what I've learned in life and, and this is one of the biggest lessons I've learned you can't help people that don't want to be helped right you can and you can be blue in the face and you will literally go bankrupt I can tell you that now by trying to help people that don't want to be helped. So, and that was one of the biggest lessons I was doing. I was investing so much into the construction and I was buying machines and I was investing in material and I was going for big jobs and I, I, I landed a couple of big jobs and we made a lot of money. And then as we grew, the jobs grew as well. And it just took two jobs that wasn't our fault um, two apartment complexes that um, ended up being shut down by the building commission um, because of the owners and or the developers were, weren't doing the right things with safety and everything. The building sites got shut down, went into liquidation. Uh, we got six cents out of every dollar of all the materials that were there. And it, it broke us, it literally broke us. And I was like, just like that, just changed. So the whole game changed just like that. Uh, couldn't get access to our materials. The law and the the, um, the 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 legal side of things were costing too much. They were costing you more than what was there, and we were literally just told take your loss. So I was like, wow, this kind of 
sent me back quite a bit and you know I, I just like I don't want to swear but I was like this was absolutely freaked you know um so it just helped me learn a lot about you know the decision making and you know how erratic you can be with decision making and and trying to help others when they don't want to be helped I was trying to create this for my dad and us had this vision and dream that you know let's set this up I knew he, he wasn't fit for it you know, I, I had the, the initial thought that he was going to be fit for it. But when I look back, I think he wasn't fit for it at all, do you know? So I was wanting that for him, for us, for the family, everything. But um, it wasn't what they wanted, do you know? So that was the biggest lesson that I, that I took from it all. And just before we, we go on any further, um, I'd like to just kind of get... You were saying there, you know, in your younger days, you might have experienced you you experienced a bit of bullying, and some of your family members experienced it as well. Um, what advice would you give people who have been in your situation, been bullied? Because I suppose you always might have those mental scars. But it's how, it's how you deal with it, I suppose. What yeah. do you learn over over time? Pain is temporary. Pain is temporary, and if there's any brother or if there's any uncle father mother whatever that's going to be watching this and the kids getting bullied it's temporary just tell them that it's it's okay just keep the head you know um don't retaliate that's what the bullies want to do they want you to retaliate and a bully is a bully because he's reflecting the hurt that is inside of him or her they are just reflecting the hurt that is inside them or her and they need to feel significant by making other people feel bad, by making other people feel upset or gathering every, their friends, you know, gathering all their sneering and laughing to make somebody else and to feel significant, to feel powerful, where deep down, they're the ones that are soft. And if you're being bullied, then you are the strong one. You are the one that is building that reinforced, solid, steel mindset. If you can pass through that, and it's only temporary, it will go far, you know, it will put you in a place, don't let it scar you, you can look back in years to come and you can nearly thank those bullies for putting you through that pressure, putting you through that torment, because that's going to stand with you for the, for the rest of your life, you know, they say steel is forged and swords are sharpened by the amount of time to get dipped in the, in the fire, Bullying is like that. Bullying is getting dipped into the fire and coming out and being standing up straight and moving on, no matter what. So yeah, it was uh, yeah. That's the best advice. Just just keep keep focused. You know, talk to people, talk to your peers, and um, talk to you know the 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 best people that is in your path that can deal with this. So sometimes the best people we think are our parents. Right, and parents sometimes cannot give the right advice. So, go and seek advice. Go and speak to your your um, principal or your teacher, somebody that you relate with. And don't be worried if if people are gonna think, oh, you're told and you're you're a telltaler. Don't be worried about that. That's only gonna last a day or two. You know, just remember you're the strong one. You're the strong one going through all this. And deep down, if these bullies don't don't heal themselves in time. They're going to be the weak ones when you're going to be thriving. Very good, very good. It's uh, 
it's definitely something that you know affects people whether they're young or old you know you suppose you know you have a lot of people in work as well are, are experiencing workplace bullying um but that's yeah, definitely right. very cyberbullying so you know, there's torment everywhere and people are going through a lot of torment a lot of people don't know where it's torn to and a lot of bullying like, in adults as well well like what, what advice do you give because you see a lot of people there even whether it's bullying or it's um you know they're going through difficult times i suppose it's an irish mindset they they don't ask for help you know how can you you know encourage people to talk to someone or Look, it's okay to talk to someone. You're not weak if you talk to someone. There's so much help out there. There's so much help. Like, um, you can go, you can go. Like, there's help everywhere. The the thing about this modern day and age is that we've got access to the internet. There's so many platforms there. There's so many people. There's so many therapists. There's so many CBT therapists. There's so many, you know, people that are highly qualified in their field that can talk talk about this, but the first step is making is taking that action. Do you know, if you're not willing to again get the help, then how bad do you need it? Do you know? Mm-hmm. And know that you have to show a bit of humility. But humility is is strength itself, do you know? So yeah, like taking that first step and just just reaching out. That's the best advice I can give, you know, because anything can happen after that. You just have to take that first step, you know. Yeah, take take that first step. That's that's the most important part. Um, before I I we go on any further, I want to bring it back because I'm after going off topic again. Um, right. we, you 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 went working in the mines. You moved to the Gold Coast. Um, when was the change, in, or what was the change point in your life that? You started focusing more on it was there what you're at now. Do you know when did that happen? Did it happen around 27, 28? Uh, it was, yeah, it was 27, 26, 27. I was 27 on the Gold Coast. 27. Yeah, and I, I literally went over on the Gold, went, went to the Gold Coast. I, I packed everything up, literally, the Jeep. I just threw everything in. I left so much behind me, Jamie. Not Joe, I. But my dog, Luna, she's the best travel dog, traveled all around <laughs> Australia. She's in Ireland now. Um, so we just we just packed everything up and hit the road. I said goodbye to the folks. I said goodbye to everybody. I said, look, I'm getting out of here. I need to look after myself. And uh, we hit the road, went on an adventure, and um, a few friends over on the Gold Coast. And I just worked with them just to, to get on my feet. And I was... I um I wanted just to reignite um martial arts again and you know it was one, one something that I loved but because I was working away so much I never really got to you know I always kind of had an involvement with the GAA as well um just for the community and the Irish community spirit but um I had a real passion for martial arts and boxing and MMA but um I started doing Thai boxing and Muay Thai um and then. One of the guys that I'd been following for a huge amount of time, Nathan Corbett, um, met him in a cafe and uh, just randomly met him and then went over and said hi and had the the crack with him and he was such a dead-worth dude and we ended up exchanging numbers and we started training with each other and um, I just noticed that something wasn't 
right with him and I was at a pivot point in my life and, and he was at the biggest pivot point in his life as well and he was uh, shortly retired, he, he just retired and um, he was an 11 time world champion, you know, he's an absolute warrior and um, we were training together and you know, he broke down and he was really upset and I asked him, well, it was just the two of us and I asked him, what's up, you know and um, so literally in tears, you know, and he was just saying, oh, this isn't worth it. And so all those belts and everything goes, this life is shit. Really talking really, really um, down, you know. So um, I said to him, you know, I said, look, you, you, you've got skills, you've got abilities, you've got, you know, I could see potential in him and he, even after he was retired. I said, look, I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to put some ideas on, on paper and, and let's catch coffee tomorrow. He thought I was only joking, but uh, <laughs> I went back home and I wrote like two big massive pages of ideas from like just all the business stuff that I had in my head and you know, how I could help him market himself doing talks and, you know, um, but one of the ideas that I had was doing retreats, doing like uh, Muay Thai retreats. It was something that I was looking up and, and I was looking at doing one myself, just attending one. But having the business kind of background, I was like, let's set up one. Let's set our own one up. So uh, he thought I was joking. I ended up whipping out all these ideas and went through them all and how they could work and how I think they would work. And he was like, this is, this is awesome, you know? Because I really liked the idea of the, the retreats. And uh, I said, well, let's do it. He goes, well, he thought I was joking. He was like, who's this Irish kid coming in, you know? And uh, we ended up bonding just a really good relationship and friendship. And literally two weeks later, I, I had the retreat to organize. We flew out to Bali. We we um, went and looked at places. And uh, I think it was six weeks after that, we had like 17 people there uh, for, for the first Ultimate Warriors uh, retreat. And I'd been doing a lot of studying and mindset development. And I was you know, doing a lot of growth in personal development and going to different seminars and really invested in myself. And as you know, the whole retreat was based around that. There's, I wanted to really create a mindset development type of uh, experience with the whole warrior aspect. So we had yoga, we had meditation, we had mindset development workshops, really good food, and Muay Thai twice a day. So it was a weekend and it was life changing for everybody. You know, even us, you know, we had people there that, um, you know, their, their te end testimonials were like, um, two weeks after they returned home, you saved my marriage and, you know, uh, this was the last thing I was looking forward to before I was, you know, I was you know, literally so depressed, I didn't know what to do in my life and you've helped me just ignite that warrior. So we, we really found that there was something that we'd done that was completely bigger than what we expected. So I started doing some events and John you know, knew Nathan was going through such a hard time as well mentally. So I set up an event for him called the, the Warrior's Journey. And that was a huge event uh, on the Gold Coast. And it really catapulted us into, um, into a situation where I knew that these events could be used all around the world and using the gyms as, as uh, stepping stones to create these events. So I put, put my head to work and I created a, a world tour of events, seminars, retreats, and we, uh, we, we've done it all around the world, Jamie. We're in Dubai, we're in Kuala Lumpur, we're in 
um, Serbia, we were in uh, Ireland, um, England, and America. We ended up doing heaps of uh, events all over America. And uh, Nathan fell in love there. I, uh, I, I carried on the journey. Uh, I ended up working in New York uh, for a couple of months. Uh, my uncle's bars there it was like a dream tick off list. And I realized then that, um, you know, maybe, maybe I should reconsider my, uh, my presence in Australia. So um, I was just busy. And I knew that I wanted to continue this type of work. And um, I went back to Australia and I put the head down for six or seven months and I gathered up as much money as I could. And I um, just uh, invested back into education. I've done my NLP course and um, practitioner's course as well timeline therapy um, because I wanted just to reinforce everything that I was doing on the mindset development side of things and um, so yeah I just I decided then it's time to move home even if I'm in Ireland I can be close to Europe close to America um, and it was just time to, to leave Australia I was 30 years old and I was like it's time to turn another leaf and uh, yeah Luna, where she's over there. <laughs> Luna got to fly first class Emirates from freaking Perth to, to Dublin. It's the only flight I could get her on. Travel <laughs> <laughs> um, dog. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, what was I going to say? So you had, we say, the phone. So you, you found your love, which was those retreats, developing those retreats, organizing those retreats, and help, and helping helping people. Yeah, just seeing people change and grow and develop like that was everything for everything that I've done or everything that I tried to do, you know, that aspect of it all hit me the most. So you know, I didn't care about money, I didn't care about anything. That true feeling and it's something that you can't replace, it's something that you can't even put a name on. But it was just so fulfilling and I was like, I wanna do this forever. I wanna I wanna see these people thrive, I wanna do as much as I can and you know, but it's how do you do that and, and, and create a career in doing it? How do you do that and create a life um, that's sustainable? And, you know, so I really put the head down working on that, that side of things. And, you know, a couple of years later, here I am talking to you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I just want to delve a bit more into, into exactly what you do. So you do... You're, you do a bit of personal training, uh, life coaching, business coaching, and neuro-linguistic programming. Is that right? Neuro-linguistic programming. Linguistic, yeah. <laughs> so um, neuro is the brain, linguistic is language. So it's, how, it's the studying of language patterns and the neurology uh, behind how we speak, how we, how, the, how we take in the world, how we are conditioned how it's programmed in our heads and how we project it back out. So it's a mental conditioning, neuro conditioning. Um, I use it for sports and performance. You can use it in many different areas. You can use it in business. Um, learning language patterns is, is really important because you get to see and understand a different language behind the language, do you know? Yeah. Um, you get to really understand people's thoughts and feelings even just the words that they're saying, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a very, very, and I'll, I'll always continue to keep growing and, and reinforcing the education there as well. 
Um, so yeah, I wanted to develop myself uh, physically and mentally. I wanted to learn about the human body, the brain. I wanted to learn about the conditioning. And I went and done my elite personal training course when I came back to Ireland um, because I wanted to implement that into the, all the events that we were doing as well. And uh, yeah, always learning, always, every single year I'm, I'm up, upgrading the education. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's good. I love learning. Sponge for knowledge. That's good. That's good. And it is important. No, it is because no one knows everything. You're, you have to constantly adapt and change, especially with the, with the internet. Um, just, I suppose, <clears throat> it's probably going to be a stupid question, but why, why would someone need a life coach? What's the purpose of a life coach? And what benefits would one get from work with a life coach? Okay, so it's life coaching can, can cover a lot of areas, right? Um, how I see things is we spend so much money on supplements, we spend so much money in the gym. Um, I've met so many athletes. I've, I'm working with athletes that look physically brilliant, but mentally they're broken. Do you know? And what's going on there? So there's elements that are going on that... And, it, and, and in today's society, we, we have, we've been conditioned to live on the surface. Do you know, we're in this 2D world and our phones is, has a lot to do with it. It's all about how we present ourselves so other people can see without having the emotional connection. So teaching people to have an emotional connection, how to communicate with people properly, how to understand people properly and not to retaliate or react you know how to control your reactions how to how to assess people and your own emotions so life coaching like it's like building a life plan or building like you build a business plan if you want to set up a good business but people don't set up a life plan to build a good life it's a simple way i can i can put it so you will get a business consultant or you'll get a business coach or a mentor to set your business up for you. But a lot of the time it's setting yourself up. It's, it's setting yourself up to be in the best possible condition way, mentally and physically. Most people think you just need to be physically looking good or physically able to do things. You have to be mentally able as well. So life coaching covers a lot of areas and there's different, and don't get me wrong, Jamie, like, and, and if anybody's listening to this as well, Really delve in deep before you get a life coach. Um, you know, before you go and hire a life coach, make, make sure they're credible. Make sure they've worked with people before because you and I know this right now that there's so many courses and crash courses and things that you can get these days. Like You can get an NLP course certificate, uh, certification for $7. You can get a life coaching certificate for $7. And what people are doing, they're getting these, they're getting these courses and then they're putting them up on their bio, certified life coach, certified, you know, um, NLP coach. You know, it makes me sick because I spent 20 grand getting my, my certification and a year of study, you know, and, and, and still growing it, and it doesn't end. You know, that's just entry. It does not end. I wanted to, to, to do it right and get taught and, and trained by the, the best people in the industry. 
and that's not taking into account all the traveling you do to, to go to these events and courses and everything. And then when you see a crash course on Udemy for, for $7, and um, one of the more reasons why we, we set up the other business, FitGuru, um, and that platform to, to make a credible platform for, you know, health and wellness and fitness professionals uh, around the world, you know? So. And I suppose it kind of leads into the next question, and I suppose you have kind of answered already, but what would be the benefits of a business um, work with a business coach? I want to ask you a question. What would be the benefits of getting a football coach or a MMA coach or a boxing coach? Yeah, you improve and improve them to teach you skills that you might not know and to, to help you understand business better, to help you understand whatever it is. So to, to help you not maybe make the mistakes or, or to help you to see ahead, to help you anticipate, um, to restructure things accordingly, you know? So yeah, that's, business coaching is, is huge when it comes down to it. And, you know, I, I've met so many businesses here in Ireland. I don't, I don't know whether it's just Ireland or, or this part of the world, but I know down in Australia, you don't have a business without having a solid business plan, you know? Uh, come to Ireland and most businesses that I've, that I've consulted for haven't got a business plan. You know, I'm like, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where you're finishing, you know, I've got it all in my head. I've got it all in, 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 in my book at home. That's no good. You need to have a direct vision and a direct target of where you're going at all times. And it has to be in sight of your vision. Setting realistic goals. You've got a big goal, yeah, fair enough. But break them goals into small individual pieces and fill in the gaps in between. Keep it on target. You mentioned throughout the interview so far that you do a bit of work with... Um professional athletes look we see the athletes on tv we see them you know with the ufc fighters boxers rugby players and you know you look at them you know geez they're they're flying they're in great shape they have no problem they're getting paid happy days i think it's it's completely different when you're actually working with them one-to-one absolutely absolutely and what like one side of things, I'm working with the football teams, the GAA teams around Ireland. Um, and I'll just give you an example of what, what's happening there, especially in the rural areas. Like last week, I was in Sligo and Mayo doing a lot of workshops with the, the GAA clubs over there. Um, and, and I've seen a pattern with a lot of the GAA clubs around Ireland. And that's, they've got a lack of community. They've got a lack of communication amongst themselves you know they don't really know each other properly and when you're when you're in a team environment you need to know each other good you know you need to have that bond and you need to have that like you've got lads working in Dublin and here and there and they might not come back from one end of the week to the other and they're just there for game day and 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 it's hard you know it's hard to have that bonding um but right down to the the individual athletes, that's what they're craving. They're craving the community. They're craving the people. They're craving that, that guidance. And, and it's mad because you have it on one end and then on the other end, you have 
you know, something that that they have but they're not applying, and something that they they need but they're not applying either. Uh, leadership is a lonely road, is what I've what I found with the the individual athletes. Um, it's tough on them, you know. A lot of them don't. Uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff that I'm doing with them is helping them just reinforce where they're at at the moment, um, whether it's mentally, whether it's physically, uh, getting their getting their business in order, getting their their life in order. Um, like there's tier one like athletes that I'm working with some top organizations in America and they're lost, you know, they're, they're, they're lost. They're, they're really struggling just to get things in line. So I come in and help them just, just reorganize their, their life a little bit better. Start, start putting a, a plan together and breaking down the elements. And, uh, I, suppose, I suppose, you know, breaking down into, you know, into to controllable and achievable goals. And it makes it much easier than from. They, they, they all have they all have a foggy vision of where they want to be, and sometimes that's with the belt around them, or that's on the podium, or that's on the that's on the stage. But it's activating all the senses that surround that, and then breaking down all the events that need to happen. We we'll do timeline therapy, which is a subconscious. Um, intervention on creating your end result and activating all the senses that surround it the sounds the smells you know what you see um, all through a subconscious state of mind and then breaking down all the events that need to happen right back to the present and the, the, all the elements and all the things that are going to stop you from getting that are all the negative emotions that are, that are going to drag you back down so we do a process of clearing out the negative emotions and they have been created in the past. So everything that's going to stop you from, from achieving what you want to achieve in the future are the negative emotions that are in the past. So we clear out them. It's like clearing the windscreen and then have a clear vision on, on where you need to go. And do you find that difficult to clear that windscreen with them? Well, it, it depends. Yeah, it depends. A lot of a lot of um so it depends on what sort of a past they've had. So a lot of people have had a, a tough past or a lot of people get um get a lot of stuff brought up. But we don't leave until we delete um the major negative emotions of anger, sadness, fear, guilt. So they're some of the major emotions that uh mental blockages is is another word for it. So it's an intervention, it's a process of deletion. You were saying there you do a lot of work with teams and you do, you do a lot of individual work. Um, do you want to give us a, an overview of how the FIT Guru came, on, came, you know, came to life and what is it? Yeah, so FIT Guru, that, um, I attended an event uh, two years ago. About two years ago, yeah. year, yeah, two years ago. And... Um, at the time, I just moved back from Australia, and I was, I was still trying to find my kind of circle, or find my tribe, or you know, really didn't really, you know, kind of fit in back home when I moved home straight away. Um, and I was, um, I uh, went to an event called uh, Fit Talk, and I was very inspired by it. And the guy that had set it up, Kieran, 
um, John was messaging him and John had a look at the, the platform. I didn't really know much about it at the time. And I had a chat to him at, at, after the event and we caught up for a coffee a few days later. And told him what I was doing with the retreats and, and everything. I said, you know what, because good to do a collaboration. So we ended up doing a collaboration and a retreat and it was brilliant. So it was my first retreat in Ireland and I, I made so many friends through it and so you know, kind of, it was very much synchronized and so I said to Karen, you know, why don't we put our heads together and put everything under the one umbrella, umbrella and we'll do Fit Guru retreats. So it was at the time as well when Karen was open for anything and so we ended up doing retreats and events and we decided to form a company together. Um, so Karen originally had the, the platform, uh, the Fit Guru platform, that was a health and fitness directory for um, health and fitness professionals and venues in Ireland. And then we added the retreats and the event side of things and started to, to grow it organically. And the events and the retreats were um, opportunities that uh, members and <coughs> professionals could go on and teach and train and we were just providing value back to the members. And it just grew and grew and grew. And um, we're at the point now where um, we're gonna start scaling the business and really we've got so many ideas and we've, we've put it all into one now. We really want uh, to drive FitGuru up there in the health and fitness um, industry globally. Um, we're putting together a live streaming platform. Um, so it's, it's gonna be a complete all-in-one uh, live streaming, rate, review, and booking engine for uh, the health and fitness industry with a couple of little twists and, and, and nicks that I can't just tell you about now, but soon to be revealed. We, we won't get an exclusive, will we? <laughs> you will, you will. <laughs> um, do you want to give us a, a quick overview of the how you got tied in with UFC, that retreat that was supposed to go on only for the, the COVID-19? Yeah, so um, obviously with the connections I had with doing the the seminars and the events around the world, I, I you know picked up a whole load of, of contacts and you know, credible uh, sources and um, you know, kept in touch with people. And um, Forrest Griffin uh, met me in New York and he was the head of the Performance Institute. So we created a relationship um, and... Uh, he really loved the idea of the retreats, the Ultimate Warrior retreats, and he was like, man, I'd, I'd go on one of them. And uh, at the time, we were really kind of new, and we were still trying to find our faith, even though it was, it was full on. And um, he, gave me, he gave me his card. He says, uh, next time you're in Vegas, uh, hit me up, and uh, we'll, we'll take a look at things. So I, I'm not going to leave that opportunity on the table. But... Uh, I let things grow organically and, and worked on things and you know just showed up every you know big UFC event I was heading over to Vegas and I was just networking and I was you know any big event was going on we were there and uh, it paid off you know like it created the relationships created the rapport um, and you know we got invited to the Performance Institute uh, to do a pitch on what we were doing and. Uh, We've done it and yeah, they loved it. So the one thing that I exposed was there was no um, aftercare program for the fighters. So there's no aftercare program um, that was proven productive for the fighters. 
and it was something that was so important so important for me because that it, it was the whole reason why I was doing everything it was to give support and give give a plan b for when your career ends that you can have uh, for the fighters they can have an opportunity to come and teach and train at our retreats and events around the world that are in alignment with the UFC and it was all based on mindset development through mixed martial arts um, so really creating really good experiences of fight week and I can tell you I've been to fight week so many times uh, in Vegas where we've landed and we've left with a big headache and that's what most people do and I've been there completely sober too so I knew that being there sober and experiencing Vegas and all the activities and, and everything that it's all about opened up my eyes so I was trying to get a good balance in between of creating a really really good experience for enthusiasts that they can go to Vegas they can experience everything they can be healthy in their, their, their headspace, they can meet the, the, their favourite fighters, they can train in exclusive locations, they can eat good food, they can get development and mindset training and they can get an all-round experience like no other, as well as having a bit of partying here and there. You know, go to the weigh-ins, go, the, go to the press conference, go to fight night, go to an after-party afterwards and leave having an absolute amazing experience. So I put it all together, threw it to them, and I said, this is an opportunity, not just for enthusiasts, but for your ex-fighters to come in and have, have a presence there as well and get paid for it, do you know? So my number one uh, goal was to get Matthews, hero, do you know? And he, he was a prime example of a fighter who had lost his way after um, retiring. So, um, uh, Matt absolutely loved what we were, we were doing and he was like I'm there so whatever you need me to do I'm there um, so Nathan Corbett obviously he's, he's going to be coming um, Forrest is going to be there he's going to come and give his life story and do, do some uh, training and so he's an absolute legend of the game as well um, then uh, we've got Liam Harrison from, uh, from England uh, from Leeds is like biggest name in, in, in kickboxing. Uh, he's an absolute weapon. So he's coming over as well. He's an absolute gent. Uh, he's brilliant. It's really good fun to be around as well. So uh, we'll have a couple of more uh, guest uh, fighters come there. So yeah, July 2021 is going to be an amazing experience. Brilliant, brilliant. On, uh, on that note, we'll, uh, we'll end it there. Actually, before we, before we go, um, if people want to have a look at what you're about, uh, where can they, where can they find it? Just go on to my, I suppose, Instagram page or, or Fit Guru, just Niall Megan. Um, so I've got a link there in the, my bio, get most, most things there, my website, um, Fit Guru links, uh, the Ultimate Fight Week experience. So yeah, get everything there. If, if you type any of those into to, to Google, it'll, it'll come up. Look, Noel, thanks a million for taking time out. I know it's uh, something we've been trying to do for a long, long time. We could talk for ages, I'm sure. <laughs> Look, thanks a million for coming on into the View Podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's brilliant what you're doing, so keep it up. Keep up the good work. Perfect. Thanks a million, Noel. Get on. See you, Jamie. Hope you all enjoyed the interview with Noel. Uh, look, what can I say? His journey has been quite, quite remarkable, quite very, very interesting, to be honest. 
Um, look, leaving school at 15 and going working on the building sites with his father to, you know, to where he is today is, to me, quite inspiring. Crossing paths with 11-time Muay Thai world champion Nathan Corbett changed both Niles and Nathan's life. And as he mentioned, both were at a pivotal point in their in their life. Niall was also very open about bullying, um, that he had experienced bullying as a child. I hope people can take something from it, as he as he said himself, a bully is a bully because he or she is reflecting the heart that is inside um, him or her. I do understand what he means. It can be difficult to get rid of some of the scars look that we have, you know, from our, our early days or from bad experiences. Uh, but it is vital that people reach out for help. Um, it, it is important that you have that conversa- conversation. Look, you're a bigger person when you do that. Uh, it will change your personal and professional life. You'll be happier in yourself. Simple as. Um, to to get to that point and just to to open up and chat to people is is the is the hardest thing. And I suppose the you know the scary thing is a lot of people aren't aware that you know those experiences that they might have had as a child or earlier on in their life. You know they think that it might be affecting them, but it actually is. Um, and that's where someone like Noel can can come into play and you know, have a chat with you and have you know has the skills to to you know to allow you to bring that out and and deal with it um in a in a proper environment. Look if you want to find out more about Noel uh, you can visit his website www.noelmegan.com or if you'd like to know more about the Fit Guru, you'll find it on their website www.fitgururetreats.com. That is all from us on this week's podcast. Please do get in contact with the show. Look if you have any, any stories or experience from part of a team, whether it's a sports team or a corporate team. We look, we love to hear and everything will be confidential. Don't forget to rate, review, and tell your family, friends, whoever you may know about the podcast. Um, we'd really, really appreciate it. And if you want to stay up to date to you know to see what we're doing, um, you'll find us on Instagram, it's at underscore on the ball team building, over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building, and on Twitter at we are on the ball two. That is digit two. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week. We have another exciting guest. Till then, do stay safe and remember cred on us fan. Talk to you all soon.